0: You're listening to the Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're in a series right now called World Upside Down, where we're looking at the book of Acts. 2,000 years ago, a movement began that completely changed our world. It started with a small, unremarkable group of people who had a remarkable message that Jesus is Lord of the entire world. So join us as we study the book of Acts and discover the message that turned the world upside down. And if you need anything at all, be sure to reach out to us at hello at tablechurchdsm.org, or you can check out our website, tablechurchdsm.org. Thanks for listening. Morning, Table Church. Today we'll be reading from Acts 26, verses 19 through 29. Uh, We jump in right after Paul has uh, talked to uh, King Agrippa about his experience on the Damascus Road. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am not convinced, or I am convinced, that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today, may become what I am, except for these chains.
1: All right, the word of the Lord. The, the liturgicals always puff out when I say that. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Jim. For those of you who don't know, that is my husband. Been married for 21 years this summer. Yeah, we always... Uh, You know, I think when... when, I don't know what's happening with my mic, but I'm sure it will fix itself. (laughs) So, you know, when you think about planning a church, there are so many people that it takes, and many of you in this room are part of that group. It's such a beautiful thing. My husband has a job that he is quite called to, and it's in Sioux Center, Iowa. You know, where Sioux Center is? It's about three and a half hours from here. And so... He's, he's quite called to that job, and we are called to plant this church. So when we moved here, he kept that job, and we came here. So that means he divides his time between here and there because God asked him to do both and hasn't said otherwise yet. And we're happy to do it, but that man has given a lot for us to be here today. So thank you, Jim. I don't get to say that very much. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> he, will, he will hate that I have just said that. But I have the microphone now, so. Uh, listen, we are in uh, the book of Acts today, Acts 26. We're with Paul, seeing this book through. So Paul, he lived as a Jewish man among Gentiles. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, like he's a super Jew, okay, okay? And most of his ministry was to people on the outside. He preached and taught a bridge between what God has done so far, what has happened in Jesus, and and what that means for the whole world. Okay, he's preaching this bridge for the Jews and the Gentiles in Jesus. Now, Paul and his co-workers, they're living out what we call the Great Commission. They traveled the roadways and waterways of the Roman Empire, announcing to anyone with ears to hear that there is a king who truly deserves our full allegiance. A king who rules not with aggression and domination, but in self-sacrifice and deep Love, a king who does not just want to rule our lives, but wants to empower us to live in partnership with him. A king whose reign over his people produces life and not death. Our text for today comes out of Acts 26, but really the action begins in Acts 21 as Paul arrives in Jerusalem. Now Paul is a Roman citizen, so that gives him some protection while he's there. But he's stirring up all this trouble because he's leading these underground groups of Christians who pledge allegiance to a king who is not the emperor, and that is a significant threat. Many people in power, Jewish leaders, Gentile leaders they want Paul dead but they cannot agree or land on anything in particular that he has done wrong to deserve it so Paul spends a lot of time in custody like he says in the in the text today he's in chains now he's passed around from one powerful person to another and their efforts to subdue him end up leading him to have opportunity After opportunity to preach and defend the gospel to the most influential people of the empire. That's what's happening here. Now, for time's sake, we can't dwell on everything that's happened in these last chapters of Acts. We really kind of dropped off there at Acts 17. Between 17 and 26, quite a lot happens. So I'd encourage you to read it. There's a lot I have to leave on the cutting room floor to get to this point, okay? They're just brilliant. Don't miss it, all right? But by the time we arrive at Acts 26, Paul is speaking to Herod Agrippa II and his sister Bernice. That name might sound familiar. Herod Agrippa II is actually going to be the last of the Herods to rule, okay? He's Jewish, and he's also working with the Romans. And history will tell us his interests really lie in doing what Rome wants, doing what's best for Rome, okay? But you can kind of think of him as he's got one foot uh, in, in his Jewish history and background, and also one foot entirely with the Roman Empire, okay? And then we got Festus, who's a Gentile leader. All right, now Paul, he's just pressing and pressing the gospel message, to these three. He's linking the testimony of the Jewish people with his testimony of the resurrected Messiah. He's insisting Jesus has already turned the world upside down for everyone in that room, Jew and Gentile. And at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense you are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Festus kind of sees Paul as if he's one of those like religious fanatics that has a text that he has this, uh, you know, like way too much interest in. And so he's seeing all these connections that aren't really there, that kind of thing, right? He thinks he's, he's gone off the deep end, right? I am not insane, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. Remember, King Agrippa is a Jew. Okay, I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. In other words, Paul has been explaining well enough that this is all things that are coming to pass that the Jews have been waiting for, and it's coming together in the Messiah, Jesus, all right? King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do, right? You can see how Paul is really putting Agrippa in a corner here because Agrippa, you can think of him almost like Aaron Burr. Not the historical guy, like in that musical, Hamilton. You know him, <laughs> right? So uh, you've got one foot on Jewish traditions. You know, Agrippa's never going to want to say anything that's going to offend the Jewish leaders, right? He's got to keep them happy. He's got another foot on Roman interests. He's never going to want to say anything that makes Roman happy. Do you see how he's in the middle there? And Paul is just pressing him and pressing him and pressing him. He says, I can see that you see what I'm saying is true, Do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Paul is done defending, and there's nothing left for him to say, which takes a lot. This discourse, it's going to slam to a halt. It's almost like a scene in a movie when somebody just throws a knife into a table and everybody shuts down, right? This is that moment, just boom, right there. This conversation is over. You have to decide. King Agrippa, do you believe? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Do you notice how Agrippa redirects here? Totally bypasses Paul's point. King Agrippa does not answer the question. For Agrippa, the most relevant point is not whether or not he believes the testimony is true. The most salient point is whether or not he will allow his changed mind to compel him to convert his life. Agrippa is a king. He has power. And this would require Agrippa to bow to a greater king, the king, King Jesus. If this is true, it means everything is flipped over from how the world works. Jesus, the Messiah, the conqueror of every empire, even the empire of a human heart. Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul, I follow you. That does not mean I'm going to follow Jesus. The whole point of this message today is right here. You and me, we live like kings of our own lives. Many of us have heard the full scope of the gospel and even believe it's true. Some of us have believed the gospel for a very long time, but that does not mean... That we let King Jesus rule our lives. Just because we believe the gospel doesn't mean we'll let the king rule our little kingdoms. We believe the Messiah but hold allegiance to our own wisdom, power, and control. We see Jesus in his fullness and refuse to convert entirely. We want to keep one foot on salvation and the other of our own control over our lives. We stand outside the city gate to the kingdom of God and refuse to cross the threshold because it would require us to not just receive Jesus as Savior, but to bow to King Jesus as Lord. What a disaster. That's my sermon. Good night, everybody. Okay, listen, listen. This is a disaster, but let me tell you, it has a quick fix, a very quick fix. All is not lost. Do you think that in such a short time, you can persuade me to be a a Christian? Now, maybe you think that Paul is being a bit too direct here to Agrippa. I mean, this man, that would cost him a lot, right? He's a Jewish leader, Right? He has the power to appoint the high priest. He's got a lot of influence in the Jewish community. And he's a Roman leader. He has a lot of power, influence to lose. Right? But think about Paul. Paul was a professional religious person who took his faith very, very seriously. And, and, and Paul not only was a Jewish leader, but he would go out and locate Christians and have them killed. That was his job until the very moment it wasn't. Paul has lived this. He's not asking anything of Agrippa that he did not go through himself when he encountered the Messiah. It drove a choice into the table. He had to decide, and he did. All right. Now, in 1741, John Wesley preached a sermon on just this one verse. And the King James translation that he was using said it like this. It said, almost thou hast persuaded me to be a Christian. Almost. Paul, you almost had me. You've persuaded my logic, but I'm keeping my life. 282 years ago, John Wesley preached that sermon And we know it by its title today, The Almost Christian. Listen, we can follow Christianity very closely without following Jesus. That's exactly what John Wesley saw. A society of Christianity followers who were not actually Christians. That pained him very greatly because up until very recently, he'd been living that way too. By the time he wrote this sermon, he'd seen the light. His heart was strangely warmed, if you know that story. Wesley and his closest friends had been taking the methods of their faith very seriously in practice. This is how the Methodist tradition was born. But we don't entirely change until our hearts melt not into works or practice, but into the sovereign love of God. Full Christianity is active surrender to ultimate power and love. Before we move on, I want you to hear me write: Rigorous faith practices are not bad for us. In fact, rigorous biblical living puts us in the best position to receive and give grace. But it can also be a prison The key is the motivations of your heart. The hinge point is not the methods, it's the motive. If your heart wants God, you will find God. He will be found. And if your heart wants to be its own God, you will be trapped in legalism. So what does Wesley mean by the almost Christian? What's an almost Christian? He spells it out for us. Number one, almost Christians are not bad people. They're not bad people. Almost Christians are taught to never be unjust. They know not to steal things that don't belong to them. They do not oppress the poor. They don't extort people. They are not cheats. They are not frauds. They work hard so that they don't owe anything to anyone. And they can give freely. Almost Christians do not lie. They do not slander people. They do not falsely accuse. They do not consort with liars as close companions. They're not bad people. Second thing, almost Christians do good things, really good things. Almost Christians expect love and assistance from one another, and they expect to help and be helped when it is needed. Almost Christians expect to treat others and be treated based on the level of basic humanity. Almost Christians share what they have. They share their food. They make sure everybody has safe clothes to wear. Almost Christians do all they can to help anyone with a need. Third thing, almost Christians do God things. They do God things. Wesley says a second thing implied in the being almost a Christian is the having a form of godliness, of that godliness which is prescribed in the gospel of Christ, the having the outside of a real Christian. Accordingly, the almost Christian does nothing which the gospel forbids. Almost Christians bless God and never take the name of God in vain. They don't curse or swear their yes is yes, their no is no, of course, they're going to avoid every kind of unfaithfulness or adultery. Almost Christians do not waste time. They don't talk idle, talk whatever is true, whatever is noble, what is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that is what they think about. Almost Christians have never seen that are you still watching pop-up that Netflix gives you when you have binged a bit longer than you thought you might and they just want to see if you're still conscious, right? They don't, they don't spend idle hours watching that much TV. No, almost Christians don't do that. And they don't get drunk. They don't return evil for evil. They don't fight or get even. They practice forgiveness. They are honest. They treasure the golden rule. Number four, Wesley says, Almost Christians practice God worship earnestly. Almost Christians are eager to get to church. Almost Christians don't show up to church ready to show off their fine clothes and their good manners. Almost Christians earnestly want to get close to God. They're hungry for communion. They look forward to it. They want to live properly aligned with him. Almost Christians pray constantly. They practice frequent family prayer. They do all they can to take a form of godliness and not craftily for self-gain, but because they know it's right, it's good. They want what God wants. Finally, Wesley says almost Christians are deeply sincere. Almost Christians love good things. They love good things. Wesley says, almost Christians have a real inward principle of religion from whence these outward actions flow. Almost Christians sincerely want to be right with God. They don't just do good to avoid evil. Almost Christians love doing good because they know God is good and they want to love God. Now, Wesley says, but here it will probably be inquired, is it possible that any man or woman living should go so far as this and nevertheless be only, almost, a Christian? What more than this can be implied in the being a Christian altogether? Wesley answers, First, that it is possible to go thus far and yet be almost a Christian, I learn not only from the oracles of God, but also from the sure testimony of my own experience. Remember, Wesley and his close friends were relentlessly practicing the faith for a long time by this point. Nobody's ever wanted to please God more for all the right reasons. Wesley goes on to say that he lived with a deep desire to please God for many years, to avoid evil, to redeem the time, to do good in all things, to feed and clothe the poor, to live generously and rightly with everyone, to be saturated in the word of God, to do what it says, to seek the sacraments and encourage his friends to be holy together. Wesley says, God is my record before whom I stand doing all this in sincerity, having a real design to serve God, a hearty desire to do his will in all things, to please him who had called me to fight the good fight and to lay hold of eternal life. Yet my own conscience beareth me witness in the Holy Ghost that all this time I was almost a Christian. So what more than this is implied in being an altogether Christian? First, please hear me, being an altogether Christian includes everything we just said, all right? This is like when you're choosing a new phone plan and you see all the different options, and there's like the basic level, and you're going to see all of these different features, and there's a check, by, check mark by each one, They with say, the basic plan? This is what you get, all right? But for just $19.99 more a month, you could get all of this plus these things too, right? So think of it that way, okay? Being an altogether Christian includes everything Everything it takes to be an almost Christian, plus the love of God. The love of God. Think back. What we've described so far is all entirely in our own strength and purview to perform. Be a good person. Do good things. Do God things. Practice God worship. Even love good things. All of that is in our own ability to do But if we do not experience the transforming love of God to fill us, renew us, empower us, fuel us, compel us, entirely rule and motivate our hearts, we are, like Paul says, only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Loving God requires doing, but it begins with being. Being in the love of God, in the love of the Father. altogether Christians live exactly as we've described, but those actions flow from a place of belonging inside the heart of God. So hear me, rigorous biblical living puts us in the best position to receive and give grace but it can also be a prison the key is the motivations of your heart the hinge point is not the methods it's the motive if your heart wants God he will be found you will find God you will know God and if your heart wants its own god to be you if you want to be your own god in the deepest places of your heart you will get trapped in legalism. Altogether Christians are transformed by the love of God and therefore empowered to love God and neighbor. Altogether Christians are sanctified through and through by God himself, the God of peace. You do not accomplish this on your own. You are helpless to do any of it. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. You can believe the prophets, know the gospel, hear the witnesses, see the evidence of miracles, understand the text, and miss the heart of God. You could know it all and not ever know Jesus. You could be an almost Christian. This could be the reason that faith is so frustrating for you. If Christianity feels more like an impediment than a gift, if the life of faith you're living feels more like suffocating and less like oxygen, it might be that you are almost a Christian. Perhaps you've learned quite a lot, but you've been discipled in religion or behavior management, theology, fear, or control, but you've not yet been discipled by Jesus yet maybe you followed Christianity very closely but you've missed the point not by choice by accident you didn't know better perhaps the best of intentions have led you to accidentally follow the wrong master maybe Christianity feels so clunky and unnatural to you because you're not yet attached to the source of unforced rhythms of grace. Remember back to our passage today, Paul is staring daggers into Agrippa's face. He's saying, come on, you know the Messiah is here. You see it. Do not stop the love and power of God from overtaking you. Flip your kingdom over. Do not stop at logic. Allow your little kingdom to be overthrown by the kingdom of God. I'm going to have you all, as we're sitting here, just close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to read from the book of Colossians. This is a letter Paul wrote. It says, The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all his fullness while in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you Are you abiding in Christ? Are you abiding inside the love of God, eating off it, fueled by it, enjoying it? Have you been working hard to do the right things without abiding in Christ? Are you doing the work, or is God doing the work in you? If you are hustling, you are putting in work the Father does not intend for you to do. It's all force and no flow. If you are just now realizing this is you, do not despair. You can step over the ledge in an instant. Remember, the fix is quick. This does not take much time, it takes surrender. If God has your mind, let Him have your life. Simply move from choosing to do God things to choosing to let God do whatever things he wants to do to you and in you and through you. That is the difference. No small thing, right? But here's the key, the difference between being almost a Christian and being an altogether Christian, altogether sanctified and transformed by the loving person of God, the transforming love of the Father, Son, and Spirit cannot entirely have you until you entirely surrender your little kingdom to the loving power of the kingdom of God. That is the only work you get to do in this process. Now here's what we can do with this right now. In a moment, we're going to sing a song to close the day. And as we do, we're all going to stand and we're going to worship together. And if you, for any reason, feel like perhaps there are bits of your kingdom that have not yet been flipped. If that is you, and you know you need to do that today, then here's what you can do. While we sing, then as we are all standing here and singing and worshiping together... Choose to do something with your hands to show you are in surrender actively to God. If you're not sure if there are parts of you that you have not intentionally chosen to flip, but you want to make sure that you let God know you want that to happen, put your hands up, put your hands out. Maybe you worship all the time and your hands are always up. Well, this time, just make an intentional choice to think about it first before the hands go out, before the hands go up. Say, God, do I earnestly seek to be entirely sanctified through and through? Let the kingdom of God overthrow all my little kingdoms. And if that's you, then when we're worshiping, just put your hands up or out, okay? Would you all stand with me? I'm going to pray before we sing. So let's just change our posture now and get ready. Oh, God. As we prepare to worship, I pray that you could give us a holy hyper-awareness of our situation right now. And would you make it very clear for us to be able to see your loving heart, your love for us, how much you like us, how much you want us. And so faced with this choice, am I going to allow God to entirely flip over my kingdom? work I can do in this is to surrender. So if you're making that choice right now, I pray that it would be able uh, to be easy for you to see that Jesus is here with you, that when he looks at you, he doesn't think about what you're not doing enough of. He thinks of how badly he wants you to get to run with him instead of trying to run in the tide of the world and to try to grasp at things that don't make sense inside the love of God these things are set in the right place and it all starts to make sense so God would you empower us right now to see you with us and to see your motivation your heart and to respond to that not more doing being loved by you let's worship